If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. Well, thanks so much for joining us this weekend. We're especially glad you're here. If someone begged you or bribed you to come or promised you brunch, if you came, welcome. And if you are new or relatively new, we have a gift to thank you for being with us today. Simply text the word WELCOME to 88877. The book of James makes this astounding, amazing, incredible statement. It says this, Elijah was a man just like us. If you know anything about Elijah's life, you know why that is an amazing statement. And if you don't, let me fill you in on a couple of details or highlights of his life. Elijah prayed for the rain to stop, and it stopped. He prayed again, and it came back. Don't you wish you could control the, prayer, the weather with your prayers? Elijah raised a dead man back to life. Elijah called down fire from heaven, not once, not twice, not three, but four separate times. And then Elijah was taken away to heaven on a fiery chariot. Those are just some of the highlights of his life. And then he's just a, a figure mentioned throughout the New Testament. It's said about Elijah, and, and he's connected to Jesus. It's said about uh, that the forerunner to the Messiah will come in the spirit of Elijah. When Jesus had his transfiguration on Mount Tabor, Tabor he, his clothes became dazzling white. His divinity shone through his humanity, and two men appeared with him there. One was Moses representing the law, and Elijah representing the greatest of all the prophets. When Jesus was on the cross, he called out to God, but many people thought he was calling out to Elijah. So great was Elijah on the consciousness of the Jewish people. 30 different times throughout the New Testament, Elijah is mentioned. So when James says that Elijah was a man or a human being just like us, we're tempted to push back and say, no, he wasn't. He wasn't anything like us. And yet, Elijah was a human being just like us. Just like us, he lived a time of great moral and cultural confusion. Just like us, he had to worry about having his needs met. Just like us, he often wondered, what in, on earth is God up to and what is God doing right now? Just like us, he dealt with loneliness and at times depression and he wondered if his life even really mattered, if he was making any impact whatsoever. Elijah was just like us. He was just like us, but here we are over 2,800 years later talking about his life. So what about Elijah's life gave him such a legacy that so many years after he walked this earth that we are going to be talking about him today and for the next few weeks? And as I looked at Elijah's life and I read a couple books about Elijah and I read the scriptures, there were two words that just kept coming back to me. He lived a life of prayerful obedience. And what I mean by prayerful obedience, he simply listened to God and his word and what, how, how God was leading, his, leading him and showing him where to go in life, and he put that into a practice. He obeyed it. It's prayerful obedience. 
Now, prayerful obedience doesn't maybe sound all that attractive on the surface. You're certainly not going to see, you know, ads marketing that. Buy this product and you will live a life of prayerful obedience. And yet I think in our heart of hearts, we want to live that way. I know I do. I want to live a life of prayerful obedience and yet I'm conflicted. Because on the one hand, I want to hear from God. I want to know that God is real and really paying attention to the details of my life. And I, I know, I, I've seen it, I've experienced it, that when I'm listening to God and I feel his power and presence, there's really nothing on earth like that. There's no, nothing compares to that. And I know that I want to live prayerful obedience because I believe that God's ways are better than my ways and his thoughts are better than my thoughts. And quite honestly, my job, and the reason why I work at a church is because I want other people to live a life of prayerful obedience. I, I, what really fires me up is when people think of God as just a man upstairs or, you know, just God as a category or they, they think that God is some, you know, deistic God who created the earth and just left us all on our own. When, when people move from seeing that, no, the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth and the depths of the oceans actually wants to speak into your life and give you wisdom for living. When people come to see that and hear from God, I mean, that, that fires me up. And I know if I want to help other people experience that, I got to live a life of prayerful obedience. But on the other hand, I want to do what I want to do. I got my own agenda and my pride. I have my plans and I don't want God messing with that, with them. And I don't, often don't want to slow down to listen to God's still, small voice and what he wants to say to me. And quite honestly, at times, I'm afraid what he's gonna say, that there's gonna be something I really wanna do, and he's gonna say, no, don't do that, or something I don't really wanna do, and he's gonna say, no, I want you to do that, and maybe you can empathize with some of those feelings, that we, we have this conflict of wanting to hear from God, but not always sure we really wanna do what he says or really hear from him, because that then will, might oblige us. Now, let me clarify a little bit by prayerful obedience, because I think some people have misconceptions about that. I think some people think that means we're going to be a robot, and that every moment of the day, God's going to program us to do what we do, and that doesn't sound all that much fun, but God didn't create us to be robots. And maybe that people think by prayerful obedience, that means we're going to be paralyzed by inaction and not know what to do, but again, I don't think that's what God wants for us. By prayerful obedience, I mean... We live our lives in partnership with God. Again, we tap into his wisdom and insight, but also develop an intimacy with God that's just not available any other way. Prayerful obedience. And this is what, again, made Elijah so successful. He learned to do this. And why we're talking about him some 2,800 years, more than 2,800 years after he walked this earth. So in the next few weeks, we're going to learn from his life and how he lived the life of prayerful obedience. Now, to understand Elijah, it's important to understand the context into which he was born. We read about Elijah in the first book of Kings, at the end of 1 Kings, and into 2 Kings, the beginning of 2 Kings. So 1 and 2 Kings, they're about what? What would you guess they're about? Kings. All right, someone over here said it. Come on, play along. Please, you know, it's... it's First and second kings, re really simple. All right, so it's about the kings of Israel. So first Kings starts out with uh, King David, the greatest of all the Jewish kings, passing on the throne to his son Solomon. All right, so Solomon takes over the throne, and he, um, he starts off really well. 
Uh, he asks for wisdom. He prays for wisdom. He builds the temple. People come from all over the earth because they, he's known as such a man of great wisdom. And he starts off really well. But unfortunately, over time, over time, Solomon's heart begins to drift away from the Lord, and he starts worshiping other gods. So Solomon comes to the throne uh, in 960 B.C., and he leaves in 930 B.C. And by this time, the, the people of Israel are overly taxed. There's a huge burden on them. So when Rehoboam comes to the throne, the elders or the leaders of Israel, they come to Rehoboam, and they say, look, your father overtaxed us way too much. Now, I ask you to use your imagination about having high taxes, but think about it, okay? Some people have to deal with that. All right. It was meant to be a joke. Okay, keep going. All right, keep going. People at home got that. Any case, um, you overburdened us with taxes. Cut our, your father overburdened us with taxes. Cut our taxes, and we will serve you. So Rabom, he goes away, and he thinks about it, and he says, no, not going to do it. In fact, you think my father taxed you? I am going to double down on the burden I'm putting upon you. And Rehoboam thinks he's being really tough, but what, unfortunately what happens is there's this great civil war, and the nation then becomes divided with the kingdom of Israel to the north and the kingdom of Judah to the south. Ten tribes in the north and two tribes, the tribes of Benjamin and Judah in the south. The rest of Kings goes on to describe to us the kings of the north and the kings of the south. Now, the kings in Judah or the south are 50-50. Half are good, half are bad. The kings in Israel of the north are all bad, all of them. In fact, the phrase that's used over and over and over again is, this guy came to the throne and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then this one came to the throne. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then this one, evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord until we come to Ahab. And this is how Ahab is described by 1 Kings. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So all the kings were bad, but Ahab was the worst. And then um, Kings tells us what made him so bad. We're told he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worshiped him. Ahab erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So uh, this is the first time that a queen is mentioned, Jezebel and all of kings. And so what 1 Kings is telling us is that she is really the power behind the throne. And what is it she introduces to the nation? She introduces Baal worship. And she works to, to get rid of worship of the Lord God. In fact, later we learn she tries to kill all of God's prophets, all the Lord's prophets, so that she can institute Baal worship. Now, Baal worship was bad. It was evil especially Jezebel's brand or version of Baal worship. When other pagans saw that, that, that Baal worship, they thought it was evil. The Romans, who were no paragons of, of virtue, they were grossed out by Jezebel's version of Baal worship. So what made her you know, Baal worship so terrible? Well, I read this quote from a book about Elijah. 
Baal worshippers engaged in a catalog of sexual deviancy, polygamy, polyandry, prostitution, adultery, fornication, rape, incest, pedestry, and bestiality. So there was that. <laughs> on top of that, on top of that, it celebrated murder and bloodshed, especially of one's enemies. And on top of that, Baal worship encouraged the immolation or the sacrificing of one's sons and daughters by burning them alive. Imagine a culture that celebrates murder and violence and even the sacrifice of one's children. And so Ahab and Jezebel, they are leading the people of Israel into this terrible negative place. They are leading them to this evil place. Again, we often think of, of worshiping other gods as kind of benign and kind of funny. It's the fruit of it. The fruit of it is always incredible evil and the destruction of human life. And so while Ahab and Jezebel are leading the people of Israel in the exact opposite direction, then God sends the prophet Elijah. He stands in the gap and he stands up and he says this, we're told, Elijah the Tishabite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, during these years there shall be no dew or rain except at my word. All the other people beforehand have been, all the other, um, the focus have been on people who are kings, but now we get a focus on a prophet. And we learn a few things about Elijah in this verse. Number one, his name. Elijah means the Lord is my God. You know, it reminds me of uh, Thomas, when the apostle Thomas, when he sees Jesus, sees the resurrected Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. Elijah's very name is a reminder to the whole nation that the Lord is God. The Lord of Israel is God and he alone. Second, we learn he's from Tishba and Gilead. All right. We have no idea where Tishba is. We know it was in Gilead, but Gilead was actually in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. So Elijah is from the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere. And he comes out of nowhere to challenge the most powerful man in the nation, to challenge Ahab. And he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives. In other words, I'm here to challenge you, Ahab, because God has sent me. God has sent me to you to challenge you to say, there's now gonna be no rain because the way you're leading the people astray, there will be no rain for years except at my word until I say so. Now, I don't know how Ahab responded to this. I mean, can you imagine someone coming to you and saying, it's not gonna rain again until I pray, you know, I say it rains. You might laugh at that person. Maybe Ahab laughed at Elijah, like, who are you? Maybe he laughed, but maybe he got really angry because people in power, especially, again, when people are in power are, are doing wrong or doing evil, they don't really like to be challenged. And that probably makes more sense because the next verse tells us, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, go east, and hide in the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. You shall drink of the Wadi, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he left and did as the Lord commanded. He left and remained by the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. So God, knowing that Elijah, and he will be, as we're going to see in the next couple weeks, will become a wanted man, wanted by Ahab, he tells him, go hide. 
go hide out. Now that you come out of nowhere, now go back to kind of nowhere and stay there till I command you where to go. But right now, I'm going to take care of your needs. And we're going to pick up the rest of the story of Elijah next week from that point. If you want to read ahead and want to know what happens next, you can read 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. That would be kind of a, a good way to get, get started and get more familiar with the life of Elijah. But as I mentioned earlier, what characterizes his life, and we see it just in a few verses right here, that Elijah lived this life of prayerful obedience. He listened to God. He listened to his voice, and then he put into practice what he heard. But it begs a question. How do you know when you've heard from God? How do you know, how do you know when God has spoken to you? Well, I want to share with you a story from my life that happened not too long ago that I think about, I'm about 99.9% certain God was speaking to me, and um, some of the lessons are just quick principles to take away about how you can know if God's speaking to you. So I'm in the market for a car. So a couple months ago, um, a friend of mine, he had an extra car, and he was getting ready to sell it. So I asked him about it. He said, yeah, I'm waiting for the title, but once I get the title, I'm just going to take it to CarMax, and I'm going to get for it what I can get for it. And I just said, hey, can you do me a favor? When you get that offer from CarMax, give me a chance to match it. He said, sure, no problem. So about a month later, a couple days before I'm going on vacation, he, he calls me and says, look, I got the price for the car. Here's what they offered me. Um, I want to get rid of it in the next couple days. Do you want to buy it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thanks. So um, we talk about it, and, um, and I said, you know, just let me, let me talk to my, to my wife, me, and I'll t- ask her. So I call me, and I say, hey, you know, I think I want to buy the car. And she said, well, has anyone looked at the car besides you? Someone who knows something about cars. And uh, I'm like, no, not really. She's like, well, how about, you know, Jim? Why don't you get him to look at it? So I say, sure. So Jim goes over with me that night, makes some time, and we, we, we go over to look at the car, and he's, he's checking out some things I would even thought to look at and telling me some things. And um, we drive the car around and for a little bit, and we, we then pull back, in, pull back in, and I turn it off. And then um, Jim says to me, turn it back on again. I want to see something else. And I turn it, and it goes click, 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 click. It doesn't start. He's like, well, there's your sign. And I'm like, no, not really. I knew the battery was dead. I knew it needed a new battery, so I didn't think so. So Jim looks it over, and he kind of gives a, yeah, you could buy it, like a half-hearted thing, but yeah, you could. So I go home, and my wife Mia says, well, what did Jim say? I said, Jim said I should buy it. Um, (laughs) Then she says, well, have you prayed about it? I'm like, yeah, of course I have. Really had it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm going to. And then she said, well, have you asked for a sign? And I just said, no, I didn't ask for a sign. I, I, I don't need a sign. I know what I want to do. So then this is starting to bother me a little bit, and a, few, a little bit of time goes by, and I'm washing dishes at night, and I'm like, God, please, all right, give me a sign. But another sign, one that says to buy the car. That's what the sign I want. <laughs> and as soon as I open up a little bit like that, just a wave comes at me like, I gave you a sign. That's the sign. And so I'm struggling and I'm wrestling with God because I know what I want to do. And the, the, the evening goes along and then I start thinking about a couple of Bible verses, scripture verses. I start thinking about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
And I'm like, oh, see, in my mind, it makes total sense. My, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. My understanding makes sense to buy the car. And I'm hearing God say, but trust in me. And then another scripture verse comes to mind. I'm thinking about uh, Jeremiah. And I'm not as familiar with, you know, the chapter and verse of this, but it's, there's a point in Jeremiah in which God tells the Israelites, you keep on relying on broken cisterns for water when I want to give you fresh and living water. You see, the Israelites, they would collect rainwater in these cisterns, but over time they become cracked, and so the water would become brackish. And God's saying, look, you rely on that water, I want to give you fresh living water in a relationship with me. Rely upon me. And you know, to me, I'm always buying older cars. I'm sort of like, a, why don't you rely upon me and wait for something fresh and new? So these verses are coming upon me, and, and I just, they're, just, they're just hitting me. So I go to bed that night, and the next morning I wake up, and I have a little bit of my time for quiet prayer, and I'm praying, and it's just clear. I ask God once again, and this is what I'm getting back from God. So I take out my phone, I text my friend, I say, hey, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to pass. And it didn't make sense, but I tell you what, I live in confidence, because I knew I heard from God, and... I'm just going to go with what God said. And I think that's the blessing of living in prayerful obedience. We can have a confidence even when the things around us don't make sense or our world is being shaken. So what are some of the principles to learn? Well, first of all, God didn't really speak to me until I opened up. It was just a little bit. I think God was trying to get my attention the whole time. But when I opened up just a little bit, then I heard from God. We have to be open to hearing from him. Second, I, I heard from God from a couple different voices, people I trusted who said the same thing, and often we hear the same wisdom or counsel given to us, and it's a, that's a good indication God is speaking to us. Third, I felt this impression, and I, again, that's, I don't know how to describe impressions other than they feel like a wave, and sometimes impressions are big waves that will wash upon us, sometimes they're little waves in our hearts, but we know something or a message is coming out at us that's not from us. And finally, there's those scripture verses, right? God had put some verses in my head and in my heart. Now, here's the thing about, about scripture. It is God's words. It's God's words in his very own word. He speaks most directly to us through the Bible, through scripture. And he wants to speak to us not only at times we're reading scripture, but other times as well. But here's the thing. In order for, God, for us to recognize God's voice and that God is speaking to us, through scripture and those other times, we need to read it. We need to read the Bible so that when God uses the Bible to speak to us, we know and recognize his voice. So through the course of this series, I hope we all can grow a little bit in our prayerful obedience to God. And so here are two encouragements I want to give you today. And we're going to do them right now. First of all, in your head, just in your head, on a scale of one to five, Five being you live your life in total prayerful obedience. One is this is just an idea that came to you today. Where do you rank? One, you know, one to five, how much do you live your life in prayerful obedience to God? Second, is there a problem you're trying to solve right now? I'm sure there is. Or a decision you have to make. It could be a, a big problem. It could be a little problem. It could be... You know, it could be small, it could be a big decision, it could be a little decision. Is there something that's going on in your life right now that you can invite God into? Something very specific. Do you have that in your mind and your heart? And let's pray right now 
that will learn to listen to God's voice, that will recognize his voice, and that whatever comes at us will put into practice what we discover as we listen to him. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Elijah. We thank you that some 2,800 plus years after he lived, we are talking about him. And we know he left a legacy of prayerful obedience. And Father, right now we commit to want to be more like him. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear you speaking to us. And God, as best we can, we commit to living out what you give us and you, what we discover as we listen to you in prayer. Give us the grace to hear your voice, Father, and to put into practice what we discover in prayer. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen.